a, a better planet is a better if we if we all strive for a better planet and do something about it it's going to benefit us all are you curious about the future and tired of doomy narrative of climate action do you look for smart and sustainable business ideas and believe that climate crisis is in fact an opportunity to design our reality better if so you're in the right place my name is Iggy. I'm a founder of Graphics Visual Communication Studio and the host of this show. I want to welcome you to the Hyphia podcast, where in a relaxed, free-flowing conversation, I ask people who actively pursue smart and sustainable business projects to share their stories and vision for the future. Our today's guest is an engineer Polyglots speaking nine languages, founder and director of Community by Inno Energy, climate reality and circular economy leader, CEO and founder of Rydergy, Claudio Geiken. Hello, Claudio. Hey, how's it going? Perfect. Listen, what's your story? Who the hell are you and why do you speak nine <laughs> languages? <laughs> okay, that's two questions wrapped in one. So, but but definitely they are linked. So my story, in short, and I'm and I and I also really like to frame it this way. Sometimes very shortly, uh, is that my parents, who are German and Italian uh, respectively, met in Paris. That's where I was conceived. And then uh, I, after a short while there, they kind of moved to Italy, Germany, different places, then Belgium, and then I ended up in Berlin when I was ten. So we moved kind of. 10 times before I was 10. And, um, and then from 10 to 18, I, I grew up in Berlin. And basically this gave me a good solid base for, for languages as well, because I, I, I could, the languages in the family were three, French, German, Italian. Uh, and, uh, and then I kind of um, improved the, the, the amount, let's say, or enhanced the amount with um, with uh, English that nowadays everybody needs to speak, uh, obviously, and then Spanish, it was pretty easy once you have French and, and Italian well, uh, with, with friends mainly and uh, in a kind of autodidactic fashion, not so much, I don't like so much, not such a fan of classes, uh, prefer to, if possible, learn by doing. And, um, and then, yeah, I, uh, when, I, when I was 18, basically, uh, I started uh, thinking, what is what is it what i want to do like everybody and um and i and i was convinced that the energy transition was was the topic i wanted to um, do or work in and, and study because uh, i was also following since in germany you know 2004 uh, was already the starting point of the energy transition everybody was talking about it and it was was pretty pretty cool sector to to follow and i, I was reading the about it all the time and then yeah, 18, I, I still decided to go with a more general approach with mechanical engineering was more difficult, but would open more doors. And I studied that. And also, since I had this international mindset, kind of um, decided to to make the most out of my studies and studied in six different universities and five different countries and um, uh, specialized very early on then in, in uh, renewable energies. And my master's was also in, in the, this topic Special, especially, and was also very oriented to innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, and this kind of sparked the flame as well for following that path of of using the power of of startups and innovation to really make the world a better place. 
and not uh, one thing I like to say is is uh, is not innovation for the sake of innovation, but innovation to improve things and to make things uh, better. And um, yeah, so basically, I, I during my masters, I, I noticed uh, it was a very international masters. There were 80 people within this, 80 nationalities within these masters. So people from all around the world, really from Africa, South America, North America, Asia. It was fascinating to to see the perspectives of so many different people uh, onto this topic. And uh, and then I didn't want to lose that uh, type of uh, atmosphere uh, once the masters would finish. So I, I decided it was necessary to kind of build a structure, a community that would bring these people uh, always uh, together along their their life and uh, I, I kind of pitched the idea to the ceo of inno energy which was the organization that uh, organized the masters and at the same time was was running an accelerating program for startups in a very unique type of fashion type of, uh, of organization and he really liked this uh, this um, yeah this energy and and this idea and so even made, made it bigger saying uh, why limit it to only the ones that did the masters let's do it to the whole network of Inno Energy and beyond, and why don't you do it? And so it was it was pretty cool uh, to get this offer, and then I, I went for it. And even though it was not a typical thing to do, I said I said like that's uh, it's still something very valuable, a, a project I believe in, bringing people together, collaborate more. I think is something we need in the world. And um, and I did this for five years um, all by myself. And uh, at first, and then, and then I tried to gather as many people around to make this this whole uh, community work uh, with volunteers. I got a, a, also a budget increase from the from the management and managed to really create some some vibrant uh, events, uh, hundreds of events we did in, in these five years, and a big platform where thousands of people kind of uh, were gathered. Um, yeah, we did we did quite a few cool things as well to spark uh, startups, so to inspire basically uh, innovation and um, via entrepreneurs, inviting them to speak and, and trying to find the most inspiring people. I did also a few podcast episodes uh, myself, and and yeah, it was it was a cool journey. But eventually, I wanted to to start up myself, and uh, and so it was a time. Uh, this year was a, a great time to to do that, and. Um, I believe that one of the biggest uh, challenges that we face is not uh, so much um, how how do we um, uh, in install more renewables. It's themselves. That's, this is going to happen uh, without question. Uh, they are simply also more competitive. It's it's just a just a qu question of how fast. But one bottleneck we're going to find is is that we need to adapt the demand to this new type of fluctuating uh, generation. And so I, I, and I, and I see the transport sector still being in the very early stages of, of being more sustainable. And, and I find this intersection of uh, being very smart at managing this production and demand side uh, fascinating. I saw that there's still a lot to be done and it's, a, it's, it's a, still a fresh new industry to be made. And um, yeah, now I'm trying to build this with uh, Rydergy uh, in, starting with Germany, but uh, would love to scale eventually all around the world. Wow, a lot of stuff. Uh, thanks for sharing the story. I There are a lot of things in there that I want to ask you about. First of all, like having that kind of 
diverse background, moving a lot as a child and speaking so many different languages, you've got a very unique perspective on like a lot of people, a lot of people just, you know, they, they don't know any other language apart their, from their mother language and they don't travel a lot. And you've been traveling, you've been studying all those different places. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about the importance of traveling and the relation between people who travel and how much they care about what's happening to the planet. What do you think about it? It's a good question. Um, well, one thing that comes to mind that I that I always like to say is is good. Uh, the, the famous uh, uh, German uh, philosopher, writer, and, and yeah, really, uh, I think an intellectual, one of if not the most famous one. He's, he he liked to say, if you you know your own culture only once you know other cultures, and the same uh, for languages. And so, uh, the relation I think. Uh, with this is on the one hand you're, you're able to observe and analyze things in a, in a better way once you know uh, how other things work and, and once you travel uh, as you know it will you're, you're instantly kind of put in a in an environment that is that is so different than what you're used to that that you're able to see the differences very very quickly and um, and creating empathy as well for Uh, for these differences, uh, once you once you don't come across and don't come in contact with these type of differences, you you have also difficulties to 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 really yeah understand them and, and and creating a connection with them, and that's that's valid both for people, languages, cultures, as well as um, yeah the, for example climate yeah the climate is is a is something that is affecting us all and and let's be frank actually. It will affect um, people that are in unprivileged places much harder than people like here in Europe, where we, I think, are the ones that are, um, at least, at least in, in Northern Europe, even uh, possibly going to benefit uh, at least locally. Yeah, maybe then, of course, the world is 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 interconnected, and and, uh, and the, any consequence that is happening somewhere else is going to also come back to us. So. It shouldn't be a problem, but but we are going to be, I think, um, still less affected than than somebody's very far away. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the core of of um, of it, and I, I can also relate just because this is maybe a tangent, but it's it's a it's relate. I think it's a very there's a Go strong on. relation too. Uh, it's it's um, when when I when I I have I see myself not only as a as somebody who really cares about the environment but somebody who cares about um, the social aspects too of our world. So indeed, um, when when I see that there are so many people that are still so um, unprivileged compared to others, it really um, affects me, and I think it should be. It, 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 it rationally when you read, listen, see it in the news. Um, that, that there are people in, for example, in Africa, but but can be anywhere else as well. And it somehow it makes it makes you sad uh, as as a fact. But when you when you come across and see it with your own eyes as well while traveling, so I, I traveled, for example, to, to Rwanda and to Senegal, and and I, and and I had the chance as well to to really see extreme poverty with my own eyes. That was uh, that was also uh, a way for me to say, okay, no, I I won't accept that. This is uh, this is a status quo. It, it needs to be better, and um, I think that's 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 both 
both uh, relates to the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah. I mean, it's a very. Uh, I don't like saying very, but it, it is a very complex uh, thing that you just said. It, it, it's about empathy. It's about understanding Yeah, the, the climate is definitely going to be uh, it's not equal. It's not going to treat the, the effects of climate change are not going to be affecting everybody equally. And that, that is a part of the problem. Uh, that is a part of, of the of the bigger uh, picture issue. But what makes you really care about stuff like that? A lot of people just care about money and, you know, profits and you know they they try to come up with a new app new game and they, they they try to build a new technology and they don't really care about how much energy it uses they don't care about you know the environmental aspects so much what do you think is the difference between you and you know this 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 league of people that you know that are on the show here <laughs> but also the people who are actively trying to uh forego any you know profits that are created with dirty approaches with dirty technologies with with stuff what it is about you what it is about this kind of approach mm. yeah, that's a good question so i i I, <clears throat> i probably don't have the perfect answer but one thing that definitely comes to mind i think there there's a side of um of education and, and cultural education as well not only my parents but also the wider, I think, education. Um, so definitely my, 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 my parents uh, helped to kind of infiltrate the social aspects of it. Uh, yeah, just, to, just to share maybe a very personal fact, yeah, my, my mother, uh, she comes from very poor, from a poor background in Southern Italy. Southern Italy was very poor um, since, since uh, in, in, uh, a few decades ago, still was, was you would be surprised and and i mean you don't even have to go so far away in northern europe too we had with sweden which is considered one of the wealthiest country in norway that i think 150 years ago were uh, in a very very low development stage there's uh, a factfulness by the way a, a very oh, good book that's a great but, book by the way I yeah love that. <laughs> yeah so that book really showcases that very well how, how the progress of humanity has been so in any case without um taking too much of a tangent that um she 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 obviously transmitted a lot of it because she she actually was a migrant to belgium uh, after second world war you know uh, a lot of southern italians were sent to northern europe to work in the mines in the coal mines And one of them was the uncle of my mom. And so she got to actually uh, live there uh, with with them in a very, it was a poor setting in general. So that the, I, I kind of got, I think, this this type of mindset from her. Uh, and then and then the same, the German mindset, I think in Germany, there's a lot of sort of um, awareness around environmental issues. So I think that was from that side, uh, I got this environmental issue. Then, more generally speaking, I think I'm always thinking in a more global scale and, and I'm you know, a bit beyond that. And how that arrived or, or how I'm, I made that happen, I, I'm not sure. I think it, it's something that just, uh, that, uh, just some, somehow is, uh, you know, uh, the influence of genes and, uh, <laughs> and the influence of uh, how the environment shapes you is, is a tricky, tricky thing to, to, to analyze sometimes. But, um, 
definitely I, 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 I agree with you that not everybody has a sort of awareness and uh, I, I, I'd like to see myself as well um, as a Buddhist in that um, I try to see ourselves as part of one and one part of everything. So I, I, um, I definitely uh, talking uh, to you or referring to your question. Um, so if you're just blindly looking at your own benefit, uh, egoistically, um, I need to make uh, as much money and everybody else is crude. I wouldn't want to live in a, in, a, in, a, in a world like that because okay, that wouldn't make me happy if I'm, if I'm just, uh, if I'm just living in a world where everybody is, is, is depressed and poor and then, yeah, you're having a blast hedonistically speaking. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, there's many, many things that kind of come back to this question. Yeah. I mean, it, in my case, it, the care about climate, it, it started in, in a very yeah. selfish manner. It was just about, you know, being outside in the nature and really enjoying the nature as like during sports. And at some point, you know, it became such a huge part of my life that from a very selfish reason, because of the very selfish reason, I started to uh, dig deeper and like start to, you know, get more interested. And this is not the story about me, but I think a, a lot of people start because of the selfish reason and then... I believe the humans are from like nature of the human, like human nature is essentially good nature. Like we are, we are essentially good. It's just the environment sometimes, you know, prompts us in a di wrong direction. Like things start to be accepted and nobody, you know, raises the voice. And I, I think, yeah, I think we're getting a little bit into behavioral, like behavioral aspects of, 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 of the climate change effects and, and the reason behind it. But I want to ask you one a simple question. So what is, what is your dream? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, my dream around, uh, around this topic or, or in, no, in... no, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to hear the, the bold vision of Claudia. <laughs> dream. Yeah. Yeah. So I have many dreams. I have many dreams, but uh, let's say, uh, I can break them down in, 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 uh, yeah. So generally speaking for the world it, the, itself, uh, I, I, I would like to see a world in which uh, basically we are really taking all externalities, uh, both from a, from a environmental and a social aspect into much more into account in, in our economy or in our actions. So, um, I believe we're, we're, doing, we're doing great, also referring back to Enlightenment Now and, uh, and Hans Rosling with fact, Factfulness, these two books, I think they kind of really showcase this uh, topic very well, how much progress we have done in, in, in across history. And it's, if you don't believe this, I mean, just, just uh, read those two books. And I think that yeah, if you are rational and like facts and, and to, to make a case, they, they will convince you so, but just have to think back, okay, how was life a thousand years ago and, uh, and how is life now? And we have so much more um, abundance compared to before. And um, so, so yeah, I think this path needs to continue, but we need to, be much more aware as well of the impact we have on nature with our actions and what is really the goal of, of, uh, of our societies and our economies. Right now, the goal seems to be very blurry. Uh, we don't have uh, the economies somehow there to, 
to uh, to make more things and uh, and to satisfy more consumer needs, which is which is somehow yeah, uh, a very hedonistic type of approach where yeah we don't we just uh, think about an individual he has a need that's that's kind of fulfill it and and it seems also very very childish if i may say so but instead we i think we should take a more systemic approach and say okay what's the what's the need of everyone and what 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 would be fun as well to do okay definitely the fun and hedonistic aspect should stay um but uh there are some limits and let's be frank we don't want to live in a world where everybody can just fulfill their own hedonistic wishes uh, uh, at the cost of the environment and, and other social costs there are some priorities here and mm-hmm. i really like also the um, by the way the the approach they take at um, at the new effective altruism movement and 80,000 hours where they talk about what should be the world's priorities and in terms of uh, goals and problems challenges that we should face and yeah that there um my my wish would be so the dream to come back to the initial question is that we have a, a world in which there, poverty is is something that doesn't exist not only extreme poverty which the united nations have set themselves to to kind of solve it within the next 10 years so that's good news apparently we won't have anyone still living with one dollar a day um in in the world in 10 years time but yeah i think our goals and ambitions should be bigger and faster uh, to not only have people that haven't one dollar a day but but more than that and uh, so i i believe in um, ubi so universal basic income uh, so having some oh, sort of system we, we we definitely need to talk about this one it's a, it's a polarizing <laughs> topic a lot of people have very different approaches to it yeah so, so yeah indeed yeah we can dive deep into that i have i've um I have quite a, some opinions uh, on that. So yeah, the the UBI maybe not unconditional uh, completely. So that's where maybe some, there are a lot of controver- controversies. But but indeed, we need to have some sort of money allocated for everyone. You can put some sort of conditions uh, where, for example, we do some social work because then we can or environmental preservation work. So you so that that wouldn't be okay hand out money just for nothing and then and then maybe the person is even going to be very wasteful with that money. Uh, but in, in in I think it's it's it would be we have enough resources today 2020 to to guarantee that no one has to live on $1 and even I, I would say okay you need to adjust for power purchase parity in every country but at least having having I don't know. Uh, for a minimum, the poorest countries in the world, Somalia and so on, should have uh, should have uh, yeah three hundred. I think yeah. I, yeah. I I I heard about this conversation on actually a Joe Rogan podcast, and I remember his. I think his answer was that it's more about like the best, the better way to approach universal basic income is to have universal basic services. Like I, he he was talking with some smart guy about like the way it would go forward with universal basic income if you're a politician and you start promising slightly bigger universal basic income that kind of you know pushes people towards you and it, it creates this weird like run towards like who's going to give me more money who's going to give me more money and whereas you know with basic services such as you know if we were to give internet to every person on the planet as like that's that's your right to have an internet access to internet access to electricity like all that stuff i I don't believe in universal basic income as, as like a good choice, but I do believe that if you get services, 
that you would normally be paying for, such as internet connection, that would, we do have resources for that. We we can actually provide stuff, you know, to everybody on the planet with 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 water, with clean uh, energy, with with internet, with uh, you know, and then we just scale up the services that are like basic. Uh, but at the same time, it's not socialism. It, 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 like we still have like a free market uh, uh, capitalism system. Like that's the innovation. That was one of the things that I found interesting. That it, like capitalism, it's not. It, this is like what? What do you think about cap like when you hear capitalism? Like when the, when you see, hear word capitalism, it's like yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, just as a side comment, I, I, I agree on universal basic services. If it's done well, uh, it, it can be a good alternative. Mm, there are a lot of economists that, uh, that have analyzed this fact and they say, but it's controversial indeed uh, to say it's better to give a service or is it better to, to hand out money? And, and it's kind of controversial, but, but in any case, I think either way that would solve at least the, the most fundamental issue, which is people having to, yeah. to live lives uh, that are not, I think, uh, where, where everybody agrees that shouldn't be something in the 21st century. Come back to the question. Yeah, I like to ask that question too. More I asked to uh, what's your relationship with money? Uh, but it's, I think it's, um, it's sort of a similar question. What's your relationship with capitalism? So in, um, my opinion has changed throughout time. My current status is um, that I believe it's a very powerful force uh, uh, and it should be, but it should be funneled in a way that is, that is good. So indeed, as I was saying just before on the economy, uh, and I believe it's the same for capitalism, that we don't have a, a enough boundary conditions or objectives that guide capitalism to be mm -hmm. to be the best it can be. Um, uh, I, I believe that uh, in, in Enlightenment now, he, he shaped a bit my thinking, uh, Steven Pinker's uh, argument to say that uh, now we focus a lot on inequality, which if you think about it from a from a first principles perspective, inequality per se is not bad. It's just uh, and it's probably inevitable in, in humanity to have inequality, and it's 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 even fair to have inequality if if uh, people are contributing more, doing uh, mm -hmm. more, having a, that they benefit more. Now the question is, um, uh, how much inequality is is good? I mean, as long as the uh, person that is poor is 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 poor and we we, we say they, they 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 have enough uh, to live a, a decent life you can have billionaires uh, around us and, and um, at least that's my current opinion that that it, they, they are not doing necessarily evil by being billionaires uh, mm -hmm. and it's and it's not so simple and it's often simplistic to to do to say okay they are billionaires and they are they are the source of evil and the poverty he brought it very well, uh, and, and Stephen Pinker said very well that the status quo of humanity is poverty. Then, uh, how we bring along progress, and if there are certain people that are bringing more progress and benefiting more from it uh, than others, that's not a, a a big problem per se, at least uh, for for me. So I, I believe um, capitalism is, is is a good system. Uh, it's very powerful, and I'm also experiencing it myself now. Building a startup that, indeed, indeed, it is very, uh, it is, it is a very motivating, and there are a lot of things that that are a lot of motivation that that goes uh, thanks to it. But we need to have clear objectives, 
and uh, that that at least uh, for the start uh not so hedonistic and more oriented to social and and environmental issues to prioritize those mm-hmm. where it should be it should be focused on and uh, there should be boundaries on to um how exactly are we are we using this force so uh, both also on the production side and the using side so if there are issues with the environment and social to to also reach certain objectives just to give an example if we use uh, um, uh, production facilities of uh, of uh, solar uh, electricity so that just to produce solar panels if you're screwing the river uh, with the chemicals that you're using to produce a solar panel uh it it's not it's not, it's not okay even though the objective was uh, to produce a solar panel so the, the whole the whole value chain uh, and if you're using childs to mine uh, uh, cobalt in congo which is also the famous example uh yeah it's not okay if, even if the battery of the electric vehicle is is good for the world so the whole the whole value chain and the whole uh, capitalistic system needs needs to be uh taking into account these externalities I think, uh, yeah, the phone problem with cobalt is 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 a big one. Uh, you know, iPhones, right? Like you need stuff that like you have such a huge corporation, such a huge company, and at some point in their supply chain, there's still like child labor force. I'm not saying I know that. I heard that. I'm not. I don't. Know, I I haven't seen it on myself. I haven't tested it, but that that's the word on the street. Uh, but from what you're saying, and this is something that I've been discussing on a previous podcast with Timothy Lequen from Energy Square, that's a French company, and they're doing like um, conductive charging uh, platforms. It's not inductive, it's, it's not induction, it's conduct- conductive charging. And we kind of established and we went on this tangent talking about good technology versus bad technology and the differentiator between those two is the measurement of the impact on like the overall impact like the holistic perspective on the environment that the the capital capitalism i essentially believe it's a it's a great thing it's a it's a force of innovation it's like a running train that we are not able to stop because everybody you know everybody wants to get rich everybody wants to be happy and technology helps you do that you know we wouldn't be able to connect if it were not for those screens that microphone I've, so i believe that's a great stuff but i think you're totally right we need a lot of innovation and in supply chain where we can understand and really take a closer look at every single step on the supply chains of you know, everything that we have around us, you know, <clears throat> coffee, for example, uh, that's a big part, you know, palm oil, all that stuff, you know, it's easy to say and generalize that, you know, stuff is bad because we heard about one case of particular uh, thing being manufactured in a particular way. And people think like that. They, they like to make things simple for their brain. So right. I see supply chains as one of the solutions to that. But at the same time, like, technology and you know thinking about measuring stuff i think that's what's missing in a lot of cases like some kind of measuring system uh because exactly what you said with with solar panels that's a great example you produce solar panels and then you pollute the river next to it or you well i've got a different question for you Uh, it's about uh solar panels and recycling of solar panels after 20 years or 30 years of using them I heard that's a big thing. That's a big question. Like people don't really know how to do that. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, 
that's a it's a it's a topic that has been mentioned quite a, quite a lot so indeed it's right that there is no uh, in the value chain of solar panels there is no big setup yet for the recycling process nevertheless it is it is um, to 90 percent i think because you you need to understand that solar panels is made up of glass mostly to protect basically the cells so it's a cell so it's a module that is composed by the the little squares are the cells and then the cells they are basically glued together with silver uh, the conductor and then and then the cells themselves are uh, made, made of silicon and they're made of some other materials that are kind of creating this potential for generating the electricity and so if you look at all these components so glass is, is recyclable is no problem um for the module then uh, silver as well you just take it out uh, and then the problem mainly consists in the silicon that is um i'm, I'm blanking on the word but this basically it's um it's it's filled with phosphor and bore um that's the typical swap and there are different chemistries and stuff but but mainly that's the, the only issue where we're losing a few percentages of what can be recycled and um and so uh, yeah, you can, but it's valuable to recycle. Silver is a valuable material, and the other the other materials too. So it will be done, and that's the same argument for batteries, by the way. Where Elon Musk also recently, in the battery day, uh, and mentioned it pretty pretty bluntly that it was it was just so wasteful, economically speaking, not to recycle all these materials that are very valuable, mm -hmm. and that it's actually in their whole now industry that is nascent uh, around uh, battery recycling. Mm -hmm. So recycling for me is not, an, uh, is not a big issue, but it needs to be done properly, of course. Otherwise, indeed, we're creating an environmental disaster. But uh, that, that, and that refers back to what you were saying is that we have, uh, we have to, we need to consider the value chain. So both on uh, on, on from the initial mining perspective to the production process to the recycling process and and that's and that's a, another thing is the, the usage i think the sharing of objects and of things uh, should be a priority for the future too so we're seeing the sharing economy growing with uh, mobility sharing concepts and, and, and many many more things that that would be for me an ideal solution to share resources much more and uh, yeah, and that would be the desirable capitalism. So let's create plenty of nice stuff, but let's be wise about using them. Let's not produce something that is used 1% of the time or 5% of them like that cars are currently being used. So that's just wasteful uh, resource management uh, in total. This is a great moment to, to switch uh, and talk about your business, your idea, because essentially it is about sharing, but in a very particular way. Can you give me a description of what your company is and what you're doing? Sure. Yeah. So actually, as you, as you pointed out in this moment, I will, I will take it from there. Uh, so indeed, let's not be wasteful with resources. That's kind of where my most, my biggest motivation starts because I, I believe that, um, so, oh, let me take a step back because to understand where I'm coming from, I think it's uh, some basics are needed. So mm -hmm. we have to have uh, an understanding of how the energy or electricity system works. And, uh, and many people don't know that the moment you plug in something in the wall and you try to, to get electricity, at the same exact moment, electricity is being produced somewhere. And, uh, and so this is needed because electricity cannot be stored. 
we have we have to produce it and use it at the same exact moment and uh, the electricity system needs to be in balance for that all the time with 50 hertz uh, as a kind of frequency otherwise it's kind of there's a blackout and uh, so as it was in the past we had uh, and still currently in many countries like in, in Poland uh, 90% of the of the electricity still comes from from coal and, uh, and in Germany uh, yeah we have up to 50% come from coal and uh, nuclear Mm-hmm. And, and 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 so in, in Italy, for example, a lot of it come from gas turbines. So and it was just a mixture in the world overall. We still have plenty of coal, gas, and nuclear. And so the, what what happens with those conventional, so to say, energy sources is that we have the power to uh, to generate more by just putting in more fuel, so to say. And uh, now this changes with the wind and the sun that we can't control. Um, at least upwards, we can control downwards, but not upwards. And so, what does it, what if mean, what does it mean, upwards and downwards? So we we can say we generate less. So we that would be wasteful indeed, uh, because we say instead of running it now, there's a lot of wind, and we're just shutting the turbine down uh, because because we don't have enough demand. That's wasteful because we could generate that energy. We have already built this wind turbine, it's there, and then it's just not generating electricity. It's, it's wasteful, but we can do that. And that would help the electricity system to, to stay stable. While we cannot, but we can, and we could do actually upwards, we could do it technically too, but it's also wasteful. We can just run it at a, at let's say a limited, limited amount of power, of the nominal power, and just then ramp it up at the, at the highest speed, so to say. Um, but yeah, it's both of these are wasteful. It's mm-hmm. not generating the ideal amount of energy that we could generate with uh, with the wind turbine or with a solar panel. So so instead of doing that, uh, and and that actually we can only do it if there is wind and solar. So indeed, uh, also we there are moments where there's no wind, there are moments where there is no sun, and then uh, and then we cannot we cannot ramp up or down uh, obviously. So. Then we then storage comes into play. So uh, that's as one uh, typical solution, or the other typical solution is um, interconnection with more grids. So let's say if there is no sun in Germany, but there is in in Italy, then we can we can transport the electricity. But it's also a bit wasteful because because the trans the electricity losses in in according to, to the ohmic law, so to say the distance mm-hmm. there's waste of energy. And uh, and then the third and so and also you need to build all these heavy electric lines and people are generally against it and it's costly too so it's not the ideal solution, and then there's the the third solution is to steer the demand and then the demand side so you can say instead of using the energy now I'll plug it now I will plug it later, most of the daily activities cannot are not so flexible but an electric car charging is flexible and so that's how basically now we are going to come to to the solution that that i'm trying to to push and it's basically is um instead of building new batteries so like uh having a battery at home or or a big huge battery at the grid side uh we use the, the vehicle batteries uh in a smart way so we charge when there's a lot of sun and there's a lot of wind and we even can discharge the battery uh, when there is no sun and no wind. So we are able to uh, support the grid in an ideal fashion without the need of building extra batteries. And, uh, and, and so basically on a, from an environmental span, uh, uh, standpoint, it's, it's, it's really much better than having to build 
uh, a huge amount of, of extra batteries if in, we're just smart and it's just software basically and, and, and intelligent planning uh, about using our vehicles uh, well and uh, as, yeah as, so as batteries yeah so just exactly. to recap correct me if I'm wrong so essentially oh. Ridergy is about managing like using car batteries as a storage for re renewable energy in a smart and optimized way because we already are producing bat car batteries there's a huge uh, industry being created around car batteries and batteries for vehicles and we do have a, at the same time the problem with storing energy for renewable energy where when it's sunny we're going to generate energy but if it's not sunny there's not going to be energy and there's a problem of like storage so you want to connect those two areas of thinking because we have capability of doing that right now via software, via machine learning, AI, possibly, understanding the, the demands of energy, for example, in any given city, in any given region, in any given time. How do people react when you tell them your idea? So it depends on the people. Um, so <laughs> people, so people that um, in general are pretty excited about this this uh, this idea. Um, the the complexity, so to say, if I'm talking now with concrete customers and and, and what I'm what I'm targeting, so it's basically electric fleets. Uh, obviously, there is a risk uh, involved, and uh, and that needs to be managed properly, uh, which is you need to have enough. Uh, the use case of mobility needs to be first or needs to be guaranteed. Uh, so uh, you don't want to uh, not charge ideally or, or discharge a battery and then the vehicle cannot be used. Obviously the mobility needs to come first because that's the vehicle's main purpose. Mm -hmm. But this new but this new purpose is, is really, really interesting because it opens a new type of income door or, uh, or electricity saving which for the for the end user at the end of the day is something that he cannot do with a fossil car so that's pretty cool and uh, um yeah but but yeah there's a, a this risk analysis needs to be done properly and and there therefore uh, we need to really understand the use case uh, using data analysis that is that is pretty strong per use case becomes more and more complex where indeed we will need more and more data streams and and even machine learning to uh, to to really get the right solutions uh, so that it's it's optimal so essentially if i were to buy a tesla and your solution was like working everywhere i go i could essentially use my tesla to generate money for me exactly yeah. So now actually it's pretty cool. Uh, the vision of Elon Musk is, is that it's going to be, uh, it's going to be available as a, as, as well, once it's autonomous to generate money for you. Well, well what I'm saying is, uh, you can, uh, you don't need to wait for being autonomous. You can, uh, because that's still, there are quite a lot of hurdles for that. Uh, but we could already, uh, then generate money via this electricity trading, so to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, at, le at least to be to be honest, uh, or to, or to, or actually right now, uh, this trading is is not uh, feasible for all cars and all markets. There are still some uh, charging uh, standards that needs to be adaptable. Until 2025, it will be. Uh, uh, so it's just a matter of the standards. 
uh, without going too much into into the technical aspects, but uh, but uh, but charging intelligently, so to say, adapting when to charge, that's feasible now already. And this can be uh, done in an interesting way, and um, uh, the other is just a matter of of time. So, where are you in in your business? business landscapes like strategy like what is the challenge that you that 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 is halting your progress so <clears throat> there are quite a few but let's say that now I'm, I'm very early stage still so i'm talking with a lot of different uh actors market actors uh and and what you can um what you can see is that there are, the electromobility is even though it's booming it's still at the the beginning so to say so it's it, the chat well, there's one challenge is to find those that have already electric fleets that could be interested in in such a solution so i'm, I'm ta targeting fleets on huh? just to, for understanding it's b2b it's not it's not b2c mm -hmm. and uh, and so the, the 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 fleets light commercial vehicles that's that's my my to be more specific the the use case i'm i'm trying to get at mostly uh, it's also it's, it's even maybe earlier stage than than uh, let's say the pas passenger vehicle uh, use cases, and uh, so that that's one one uh, challenge. And this, the second challenge is understanding the duty cycles of each of each uh, player. So that's uh, you can imagine Amazon has a, has a certain duty cycle at their at one um, what is in a, one what city. Is, what is a duty cycle? A duty cycle is uh, sort of um, the, how the vehicle is being used every day, in a, okay. um, and so basically, that's that uh, you need to understand how it's it's being driven, when it's going to be back uh, at their main point, when it's going to charge. Mm -hmm. uh, so these these type of um, data points need to be gathered, and that's something that is not, yeah, it needs to be done case by case to understand. Uh, when uh, the charging uh, it makes most sense, so to say, from a from an economic standpoint, because then what I do basically is I, I take in this data stream and I try to see what's the electricity market pricing, mm -hmm. and that varies in time. And so I try to match those two ideally together to to um, to do the charging in an optimal lowest cost fashion for the for amazon so to say so uh, that's that's kind of the the current stage uh, i'm in to to try to understand this this duty type duty cycle and uh, at the same time then being able to do a, a benefit analysis for the for amazon saying do you want to take on the this uh, risk and often what i expect is actually it's the risk is very minimal because um, now they are they are for example arriving at night uh, at the evening times and then the night it's just standing there and then you can there you can optimize just uh, the charging in these hours where the vehicle is not necessarily being used so it's basically zero percent risk that uh, that you don't have enough battery at the end mm -hmm. of the day because you're just saying it's, it arrives at the evening uh, arrives in the morning instead of needing four hours to charge and then you plug it in and it charges four hours just put this four hours in, in, in across time, and then you, you, you optim, optimally charging uh, according to the, for example, wind availability in that time. Wow. Wow. I'm impressed. Uh, I, I, I remember when we were talking about this whole 
like you were describing to me and I was trying to picture it and like visualize the solution. But now as I'm sitting and hearing to this one more time, I realized that this is actually, this actually can work. And it's like a driving batteries, essentially. Like, uh, <laughs> listen, so, um, so that is a challenge for you to, 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 to get it on the par partner that can, that can give you an access to enough data and risk just a little bit to, to test the viability of the system. Uh, so you're talking with businesses, Amazon, are, are you talking of like uh, delivery companies too? Uh, so uh, all sorts of uh, delivery logistics companies, but also ride sharing companies. So I'm also um, in, uh, interested in seeing that use case that is a bit different, of course, uh, mm -hmm. but also uh, in, in there are similarities at the end of the day, uh, now I, I I'm interested. Uh, the the best use cases are those that allow us also to have solar PV uh, in their own uh, headquarters or in their own generate uh, PV, and then you can use it directly as well. So that would be even cheaper electricity then, um, and uh, and even better because it's locally produced. Uh, but yeah, then you need to find a use case that has this that is not the vehicle is not gone for the whole day, so to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just also for, clar uh, to clarify, for clarifying that, that's kind of the initial use case. The intention the, or the ambition goes a bit further in the future is to uh, also be able to um, not only optimize the charging locally, but, but uh, anywhere. So, so to say, we, we need to see then uh, where, where uh, and when uh, even in the in with in the duty cycle when it's outside of the headquarters it makes it does it make most most sense to charge so that mm -hmm. you can you can opt, optimize also for location mm -hmm. and um, not only for the time uh, and so that they, they, but that comes on a second stage because it adds an extra complexity to the to the whole issue mm -hmm. but it, but it would be very cool if we can if we can do that eventually mm -hmm. uh, how, how many people do you have how how, uh, how many minds do you need at this point to, to make this success so the the main the main uh, um, capabilities that are required for this is basically talking to fleet managers and and understanding the use cases and making telling them this business side and that's basically what i'm doing what i'm needing uh, as a co-founder mainly and, and that's what i'm uh, searching for and uh, is, is to have people that are very good at the back end and API uh, side of things and the algorithmic side of things. So uh, basically what you need to imagine is uh, from a technical standpoint, I need someone who is able to, um, yeah, taking all the, the, the things, the concepts that I described to you, data streams from different sides, from the energy side, from the uh, mobility side, putting it into the algorithm uh, and basically uh, Saying okay, this is the charging schedule that mm -hmm. Amazon has at this at this particular site, and and maybe works together with a partner from the PV if if we add a PV side to it, um, but but it's just another extra data stream for the algorithm, and then and that's the maybe even uh, other very complex part that we haven't touched upon is is it needs to be able to communicate with the charging station or with the vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, via via yeah via some sort of uh, communication standard and the API, 
uh, that uh, links to the software of the charging station or of the uh, electronic control unit of the vehicle. So we, we, uh, we need to develop an API for each type of vehicle and for each type of charging station to basically tell this uh, charging station and uh, this vehicle start or stop charging according to our algorith algorithm's output. Okay, so you've got a, you've got the, the core of it, which you the core algorithm, which is essentially about like understanding the the data streams from all those different places as like your brain unit, uh, and that brain unit connects with local unit in let's say Amazon warehouse, which has like a solar panels on top of it, and that that warehouse has a you know, has a piece of software that communicates and it's online and then gets that kind of data and directs the energy and or either charges or discharges batteries appropriately and gives ability to people on site to halt the action and say stop it we need like full batteries charge because there's going to be an uh, an event that is not uh, scheduled or yeah uh, so so the important bit is it's all automatic of course we, so we don't need people to take the, <laughs> the plug and, and take back put it back in so so uh, of course the the software is able to uh, via the cable uh, wow. tell the batch the battery management system start stop uh, without people intervention because that would be prohibitively expensive to have people plugging in and plugging up <laughs> oh yeah 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 what, what i meant is just you know having that kind of like fail safe kind of situation where you need some kind of like you know to sell it like essentially for people like i heard about this problem that the airlines have that you know every time right now you try to book a flight and the problem is that ai was running price algorithms and they were basing that on the you know years of like classical smooth traveling patterns and now corona happened and suddenly like ai is you know they like ai is not able to make a rational good decision from like economical standpoint just because they don't have that kind of data so uh, that's I see, interesting i see a lot of interesting like points uh conversation points about um the api uh compat compatibility across different like play cultures like it almost seems as if you were to as if it would be really interesting to have you talk with uh, warehouse uh, builders and warehouse like creators like people who actually build warehouses so they can like implement your kind of this solution uh, and like charging station so it's not so the, the compatibility of the hardware is not a problem I know I, I know a lot of about warehouses particularly but that would be an interesting uh, approach to to, to, to to see listen I don't want to I don't want to get into this but I'm really excited about about your idea it, it really is like, a, like a great uh, concept but yeah go ahead yeah yeah no the the, the it's it's a complex uh, market uh, indeed though. so warehouses could be a, a, also a partner potential partner but yeah they are just for you to uh, to understand basically is there, there are so many market players uh, that could be involved somehow or need to be involved somehow that adds um, yeah that adds complexity so there's there's basically charging station operators there's charging stations um, owners there's charging station producers there's uh, hardware producers or software producers or both and uh, so that's just from the charging station standpoint and then some specialize in in more uh, private things wall boxes for for private homes or for companies or for public charging stations 
And then there's um, there's all these card providers, uh, sort of, they have a relationship with a with a final customer for charging. They're called mobility service providers. And then and then there's uh, uh, all the electricity retailers side. So you have um, basically they they um, they the companies Vattenfall or Eon, all the ones that basically sell the electricity. Uh, and then and then there's even metering companies that are within. So it's a, a whole ecosystem of of people and um, and then there's people that integrate it all kind of and try to sell uh, as a service to to the to the fleets and this is for fleet managers it's completely new it's a new sort of topic that they haven't fully uh, uh, still have to wrap their head around and that makes it a bit uh, more difficult now to to implement stuff uh, because you need to they, they just say okay now we had like a, a diesel or, or, or gasoline fleet and it was just just had to kind of plan a bit when they would when they would kind of go get the gasoline and uh, and that's it. Now now there's this whole new range of uh, of issues that I was just trying to pinpoint: uh, how fast to charge, when to charge, blah blah. But but it, but I think once we get to the initial hurdle of okay now now it's it's the infrastructure is being installed and and it's done and the decision is made, we go for it. Uh, then they're going to really be interested in how can I make the most out of this resource. Mm-hmm. And um, now, now that's just to say that I'm trying to find the, the already the person that is willing to that has already something installed or, or that just installing it now and are willing to go for it and try even this innovation to to make even better use of this new resource and not only being helping kind of the world to be better via uh, transportation uh, electric mobility but even helping with this asset the energy transition which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. yeah it feels like a very smart thing to do i'm curious like if if you yeah if you want to talk with warehouses just let me know we can like set something up like if you think that's a good idea to go after i, I i'm not sure you know i know those people i i used to work with uh prologis and panatoni in europe and those people uh they really look for creative solutions too like they 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 they, they want to be step ahead too like they operate on yeah. a different level and if you if you see that as a viable potential direction for some kind of discovery i'll be happy to like work with you on this one because it feels like i don't know why but it feels very interesting to me listen i don't want to go <laughs> into strategy right now i want to ask you, i want i want to ask you a very uh, about a very different thing i want to ask you about a narrative uh storytelling of climate action i see that as it's it's a huge um it's 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 a huge topic that it's it gets more traction every single day uh, and i want to know what's your current general perspective from a storytelling point of view of climate change and climate action Um, not, I'm not sure I understand the question. So to, just to clarify, you, uh, what do you think the story we are telling is about climate change? And do you think it's it's a good story? It's a bad story? Do you think mm. it is a valid story? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a maybe a bit unconventional opinion on this, and I believe that um, that most people haven't fully understood. Uh, what climate is or what the climate is so um i so there are also con- con- confusions around uh, what the environment and the and the climate is um so so for me it's the, the way i see it is the climate is 
is basically a combination of uh, the, the temperatures that are being uh, that are that, that, that are uh, that, yeah that are all around the world and um, and precipitation and so on so it's, that creates a certain um, a certain how do you say I, yeah. I can, can I can I interrupt you I, I I've seen one piece of graphic that explains perfectly what climate is and like the the, the difference so imagine you have a dog. Think about the dog, this beautiful husky, white husky, and you, and you go for a walk with that dog and you want to go from your house to the coffee shop uh, next street. You are the climate. You go from point A to point B, but your dog is the weather because the dog is going to start sniffing around. It's going to start going left and right. It's going to be hot, cold, hot, cold, but you're still going in that <laughs> direction. You're, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice metaphor. So yeah, the, the, I, indeed. So that's the difference between the weather and the, and the climate. The climate is, is, is a longer time scale, mm -hmm. uh, indeed. But, oh, but the difference between the environment, the, the thing that bugs me most is that, that I think that we don't fully grasp uh, the difference between the climate and the environment, but in in any case, maybe it's more urgent to focus on the climate and it's not so dramatic. But in, I would believe that it's better to to understand the differences and so take them into account now when we make decisions about uh, externalities. The whole thing I was talking in the beginning about capitalism and mm -hmm. and so on. So why and so and so what's need what needs to be understood is that climate at the end of the day is 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 a consequence at least how can we influence our climate it's mainly stopping emitting um, climate, climate greenhouse gases and so these greenhouse gases are just a, a tiny bit of the human impact on the environment and so it's um it's still now everybody talks about climate so it seems so much bigger than it than than the environment but in in but the climate is just a piece of the environment and so what what i would like to to see is that uh, that be, people are able to distinguish these two things and so we can integrate and put it into policies uh in a way that i was that i was explaining before in the in the value chain that we're not screwing the, the environment at the cost of uh, the, so the, the helping the climate at the cost of the environment so it's kind of a bit uh, of other environmental factors. Uh, so that's kind of uh, one of the stories I would like to change uh, indeed. And, um, and just to give an example, and, and I wrote a, a blog post uh, about this, uh, maybe you can link uh, in the show notes or something that so that, that really gives, uh, gives goes a bit more in detail with, with this. But yeah, we, we, are, we are able to extract resources uh, and mine um, as as we please nowadays, and and this uh, will help with electric vehicles and PVs and, and winds. This will help the climate from the energy standpoint. But um, and we will and or cows uh, as well. Uh, if if we if we um, if we see, the cows are emitting greenhouse gases via their methane emissions. So indeed, if we stop eating. Uh, cows that will help, but there, there, um, there are certain aspects uh, of these of these uh, things that are that we are not taking into account. So we don't care really about the suffering of the cow. So that's kind of a, an impact that the that the person has on, on this cow, and uh, and 
and for for the batteries and the and the PVs, we're not really caring about how the mining works, how the how the production process works, how the recycling works. So the, these are independent. We can screw all of the environment uh, uh, via these things, and it won't bug the climate. It just doesn't matter. It just mm -hmm. so. And, and another good example are the, the also the how we create food or, or stuff. Uh, if we have 100% renewables, um, basically we can still pollute uh, with other things. You know, we have particle matters, we will have gases, chemicals, uh, and, 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 and the water consumption and uh, land consumption. So there's so, so many other factors that we, are we should integrate within the way we produce and, and use that go beyond the, the climate. Uh, aspects um, but don't take me wrong i just don't want to minimize uh, what, what that we need to do climate actions because the consequences of of that are being portrayed portrayed are indeed very very uh, dire if you listen to the most uh, to the scientists so we we need to take uh, action there but let's not forget that other environmental aspects uh, are being uh, should be considered too mm -hmm. So transparency to the environmental costs and just just balance it out with the action that things that are going to work in the short term and look like they are climate friendly may not be from an environmental perspective and that that's what you're that's what you're going after then we definitely yeah, need to change the, the relation with the the word environment but also what it entails what it actually means uh what's the difference between people yeah yeah just and just one more thing and i, I believe uh steven thinker has has done a brilliant job at articulating it articulating it much better than me uh where he, he talks about eco-modernism and uh, as a movement um in, instead of eco-pessimism mm -hmm. so eco-pessimists eco see the world that okay we are humans we have an an impact uh, on the world we should go back to caves uh, and that would be much better for for nature uh, and and that definitely is not what i'm what i'm advocating for and, and i believe it's wrong to, to go that way but yeah humans have an impact in, inevitably it doesn't matter if if the impact uh, or, or it's not it's not only greenhouse gases yeah it's there's much more just the fact of living and using resources is affecting the environment. And so uh, we're chopping down trees, we are using, building fancy hotels somewhere, blah, blah, blah. So there are plenty of impacts. And let's just take that into account. And let's just democratically uh, come up with a process of, um, of seeing what's the limits and wh where do we want to uh, stop and saying not at all costs will be uh, basically screw the environment uh, and and but it doesn't as I think it was Elon Musk that just said it recently um, uh, in a, in a, in a, a few days ago in, in an event uh, like uh, the data he said if we were to put all the people in a in a in a in a sort of uh, a very closed environment uh, in in a use every square meter basically for a person they we could all fit humanity in new york city uh, yeah i found yeah. that on manhattan <laughs> yeah i heard that one that was an interesting perspective <laughs> and so what, what what i think is useful for that is just to believe okay yeah we we're using a, a very much of the land and stuff but but it's not so dramatic so to say we can we can mm -hmm. preserve and there are also metrics around how much we're preserving the land and uh, I, I believe that uh, it's just a matter of of being better, but 
that we are having an impact is just inevitable and we shouldn't be misanthropic and, and just say, okay, mm-hmm. let's just all kill ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so you said eco, eco-pessimism and eco-optimism. I have not heard about that one, but I like it. So eco-optimism is that even though we do have impact on the environment, we can m- minimize it on one hand, but at the same time, like focus our innovation uh, attempts to really answer the big problems, like the, the, the longevity of the human species. Uh, that, you know, because that, that is one of the problems with climate and, and, and like working with environment. I think that, you know, a lot of that stuff is, it's, it's going to take years, decades to, to change things. And people just lack motivation to do so. Like it has to be here and now. And if we don't see it and the impact that we have is not visible for us, that, 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 that where the problem lies. So you're, what you're saying, the best case scenario, like the, the best thing to do in conversation about climate and actual policy making is to come up with the process that takes into account scientific knowledge, uh, local knowledge and all like understands the impact on the environment for any given uh any given human activity essentially yeah exactly right yeah i think that's that that's what we need to to think and do much more and indeed i agree that the impact many times is is just long scale and difficult to see but yeah if you sometimes it's very fast i've lived in in cities so far you can see one of my dreams, coming back to the dreams, that instead of using all these spaces for parking and for uh, uh, shops and stuff uh, that we maybe don't need so much, we can just design much greener cities and walking areas, and and so that that would be fun. Uh, and, and so I and I've seen this happening now for Barcelona, where I lived for five years. There are a lot of cycling lanes. Uh, many streets are being closed. They call them island superillas. And I've seen it in, in a span of very few years. Uh, so mm-hmm. things are feasible. And that's uh, that's also the eco-optimism type of approach is to say, you really care about the environment. You're not such a pessimist that everything is going to help. Instead, you say, hey, we can do things and let's do the best uh, and, and, and use innovation and use technology and use policies for the best uh, around them. And, and we're just going to live in a much more beautiful world. And, and from an egoistic standpoint, so it's not sacrifice. It's, it's actually fitting very well from, from that perspective too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big part of like being a, an active member of uh, the movement of really bringing awareness to climate is to really focus on bringing motivation to people and like giving the reason for people to 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 to, to both have a conversation like this but at the same time like focus their like if if, if they were to invest like if you're an investor and you have a decision to make which go which way you want to go with your money right now you know let's motivate those people to go the eco-positive the eco-positive way right like or go uh, thinking about uh, cold profit because it's like this is not a profit like cold profit is is is, is proven to be not just a profit it's a profit minus environment so exactly exactly right yeah no i want to actually write a piece on this uh, how to invest money uh, in a in a so eco optimistic way so to say so i uh, I, uh, I will write an article these days. Uh, I will publish it. <laughs> optimism. So who was the guy who came up with the term? 
uh, I'm not sure if it was Steven Pinker, but um, but he definitely was the one that uh, that I, I I heard it from first. So it's um, but I think it's he said it was not from him, but he's he, Steven Pinker just as a reference as a Harvard professor that is really um, that is a philosopher and pretty famous in in, in his in his field. He has written this influential book where Bill Gates has said it was uh, it was the most influential book he's ever read. So, and Bill Gates reads 50 books a year. So you can imagine. <laughs> well, are you reading something right now? Actually, I've read 50 books this year. So I'm, I, I put myself, I was just thinking about it yesterday <laughs> that I, I need to, uh, I will do my Christmas, uh, uh, my Christmas plan. I will, I will, I will again start to see, okay, which books I will start again next year. But my aim is, is to keep it up, but not sure if I'm going to be able to read 50 books next year again. <laughs> but yeah, you don't have any book right now that you like reading, or do you? Like... I I have many entrepreneurship books uh, on uh, books on my bookshelf right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I I I'm I'm using quite a lot the the book of uh, Guy Kawasaki, how to start uh, basically the the startup, and mm -hmm. um, also the Mom Test is a pretty cool one. Oh. Uh, is it you know it that one? No, no, but mom test, like mom, mother. Test. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun. It's a fun na name. It's basically, the, the the thought behind is the idea behind is to say, you, if you want to test a validated a business idea, you don't need to have cheerleaders around you, like uh, like the mom that will say, yeah, go for it. It sounds nice, but you need to really go about it in a very strategic manner and ask people questions so that they don't cheer you up, so that they tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. um, so you know if the idea is, is good or, or if it's bad because you want the truth. You don't want people kind of saying, yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, yeah, that's a good, is that the guy Kawasaki too? Or no? no, that's, I forgot his name right now. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't remember. Listen, uh, you have 30 seconds of everyone's attention on the planet. What do you say? Well, <laughs> well, I, I believe humans are about change. So I'm going to ask you this next time. We're going to have a podcast conversation and we're going to see how. <laughs> uh, well, listen, if people are interested in working with you, connecting with you, talking with you, how do they get in touch? Uh, so I'm available on all um, different uh, platforms from LinkedIn to Facebook to Twitter to uh yeah i have an email too uh you do have an email uh, holy incredibly incredibly <laughs> uh but yeah the best is uh, linkedin i guess and twitter and uh, medium i'm writing on medium too so and yeah obviously uh, the website uh, of the company is writerg.com mm -hmm. yeah that's... so just to recap you're looking for the fleet operators or fleet owners to push your project further oh sorry yeah that is a uh, oh never mind worries no uh okay. so yes fleet operators yeah fleet managers fleet operators anyone that has something to do about that and wants to wants to kind of cooperate in trying to lower their electricity costs via smart 
charging using variable tariffs and, and uh, APV and other ways, uh, please reach out uh, to cooperate together to make that happen. Okay, and one more, the the person, the co-founder or some kind of entity? Ah, uh, yeah, you. even uh, teams, yeah, I'm looking for team members, um, especially best class kind of uh, uh, back-end developers and that also can can develop the the algorithm, algorithmic part, uh, uh, at least are able to to deal with that very well, uh, and interfaces with the charging stations, APIs, and so on. That that that'd be amazing. Amazing. Well, listen, Claudio, I'm uh, I had a blast. I I really enjoyed that conversation. I think we should cut it. It's one hour and twenty minutes. I know Joe Rogan has like a three hour long, but you know, it's a different it's a different situation. We are not sitting next to each other, uh, so let's cut it here. I want to thank you very much. Unless there's something else you want to add to the to the show. No, thanks, Sigi. I think it's it's a super uh, good format. And uh, yeah, hope uh, hope we reach a, a lot of people with these messages. And I'm very open to to yeah to answer questions that might come up. And amazing. Yeah, look, actually, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, man. Have a great day and take care. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> hey, you. Thanks for staying with us till the end. Do you have a business or an idea you'd like to share with the world on this podcast? If you do, don't hesitate to go to our website, hyphia.com. It's H-Y-P-H-E-A.com and fill in the simple form. Take care and see you on the next one.